0: Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. It is my absolute pleasure to reintroduce um, a former guest that we have been trying to arrange this podcast recording for a while um, and I'm so happy that I've finally got a chance to get him on. It is the one, the only, Mr. Dr. Dean. How are we doing, my man? I'm doing very well, Vaughn.
1: Bon. I'll beat the little bit of sleep I got last night. I'm still surviving.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel we should maybe put a little disclaimer out on this one that uh, Dean was... well. Was it three hours of sleep you got? You are up for three hours? We were up for three hours and then I managed to get back asleep for a little while. So So if you, if you, if you have a little nod off on the podcast, guys, um, don't worry about it too much. <laughs> well, my brain's not as sharp as normal. <laughs>
1: I'm, so, I'm sitting here caffeinating up my brain to, so, to deal with the
0: podcast. I think that anyone um, who has been listening to the podcast a while will remember the episode that you did and it's still one of the most highly like listened to episodes of of all the ones I've done, um, it's one of my one of my favourites. Um, it, it kind of regoes over. It, uh, anyone who's listening, I love speaking to Dean because I get so much knowledge bombs, but it makes me think about oh shit yeah, I've forgotten about that. And I think it's just so important as a coach, athlete, whatever you want to call it, to just constantly re-go over education that once perhaps has been lost. But for someone listening who goes, who's this Dr. Dean guy? You know he's Irish. he's got a wicked accent but i don't know who he is so could you give us a, them a little bit of reintroduction of yourself your career within bodybuilding and um, to where you're at right now so for
1: people who don't know me my name's dr dean st mart i have a phd in synthetic organic chemistry and my background prior to that was in chemistry and pharmaceutical chemistry more so around pharmacology um, I am a competitive bodybuilder, as you said. I've been competing since I was 22, so almost 10 years now, and I've represented Ireland on the international stage. And I guess the other side that people might know me is I was formerly an educator for Tramer-JP, and I'm also the formulator for supplement needs.
0: Fantastic. Now, that is a that is a very brief introduction, but I think that you know, you're always quite a humble man in regards to the accolades that you've attained within the bodybuilding scene. So could you give them a little bit of summary of that, but also um, just w- w- where you're planning on going? Because I know that you had plans on competing this year. So a little bit of background, if you could, on within bodybuilding, but also where you're going to go from, whether it's this year, next year, the year after. So, <coughs> to
1: date... I've always managed to be top six in the Irish nationals, whether it was uh, IFBB or NABBA. The highest I've placed so far was I won a regional show and I placed third at my first ever nationals. Um, but since then I've always been like fourth, fifth, sixth in the in the nationals. So my plan was after taking, it's almost three years now since I competed with the birth of my son, was to come back this year obviously having teamed up with, with Callum and the improvements that we've made to my physique and finally try and tick off that box that I started when I first competed which was to win a national title Um, I think it's 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 interesting because I often wonder if if I had won a national title at some point would I be just happy to just continue training like I think there's some sort of inherent drive there that there's a a goal not accomplished to, to win, say, Mr Ireland.
0: Yeah, I like that, mate. And I, it was good to watch your journey up until COVID happened, but to see you still continue to make progress um, ruthlessly in your garage is is fantastic and it's inspiring. <laughs> um, I think that a lot of bodybuilders out there could probably relate to that sort of sense of um, t- wanting to tick off a box or, you know, a redemption sort of year and I've got no doubts with your application of the basics but also with Kyle, you guys will fucking nail that. And it'll be it'll be awesome to just kick back and watch it all happen um, and unfold. But I'm gonna delve straight into the sort of topic of today's podcast and um, which was all about sort of rebounding from a show. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about fluid balance and whatnot across the year. Um because I feel it's an area um that I suppose in the in the natural game, or well, in any game, people say we have this this window of opportunity to add tissue. In parts that's true, but in parts that's maybe not true. So, for someone who that's kind of listening, that's that, that's new to this, could you explain? What do people mean when they see you know I'm 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 rebounding, bro, um, and just give them a, like a layman sort of explanation of it would be fantastic before we go in, in into detail. So if we we sort of
1: break it into two routes between say a natural athlete and an enhanced athlete, the sort of principle of the rebound is is the same in that I guess the the brawl mythology is that you have this now period post-show once you finish completely you can magically add tons of muscle tissue to your frame and that you can magically negate the laws of thermodynamics and eat as many calories as you want for you know 10 days post-show without gaining any fat <clears throat> which unfortunately is not the case and in most cases when you see a natural athlete and more so if they've only competed once or twice you'll often see feedback if you're coaching someone like that that oh look at how much fluid i'm holding and it actually takes being very you know subjective and saying actually no that is not fluids that you're holding, you've actually gained quite a lot of fat. And um, we, we tend to see, you know, you have a hyper palatable response post-show, where you're binging on quite a lot of high fat foods that to be honest, if someone was to binge post-show, you'd probably be better off binging on the carbohydrates because of, again, you know, there's less likelihood, I'm not gonna say, you know, based on hormone balance and obviously um, energy balance, but it takes quite a high amount of carbohydrates for you to then spill over and start processing into triglycerides versus direct fat storage from fats themselves <coughs> so i show you see people indulging all these sort of foods pizza ice cream everything that didn't been restricted cakes are really high fatty foods whereas you know if they had it gone out and binged on rice <laughs> high amounts of rice <laughs> high amounts of like plain carbohydrate You'd see some water retention, which we'll get into. But in terms of fat gain, once the water dissipates, it's very rare that you see a, a high amount of fat gain. Um, so in, in reality, post-show, you need to be sort of as diligent in the rebound management of energy balance versus when you were prepping. But it also brings with it then the psychological factor that you don't want to fall into the trap that previously was rebounding slowly or you know reverse dieting
0: yeah
1: where you slowly bump like 10 car- 10 grams of carbohydrate per week over a period of six weeks Oof. i, I, I could do that you know it's just too slow yeah. you've been in this sort of deficit region for 12 to 16 weeks ideally what you want to do is accept that you can't maintain that body fat condition that you had pre-contest but also you need to understand that you've now transitioned from a pre-contest to you know an improvement phase or a cruise phase to manage health post show after say with an it, it enhanced athlete and it's probably more so beneficial that you bring that person's calories straight back to maintenance or say 5-10% to 10% above maintenance what you're sort of doing there is removing that psychological barrier that sort of food focus of Feeling restricted post contest, where yeah. say their carbohydrates may have been 170 pre contest by bringing their mate, their calories back to maintenance or even five to ten percent beyond, the carbohydrates all of a sudden fall in the four to 450 range. Say, yeah. and that's a lot of foods, yeah. Someone psychologically, yeah. than what they were on pre contest. So, you sort of remove that restriction that okay, I'm only eating you know. 80 grams of oats pre-workout, and that's my carbs for the day, or I'm having some carbs post-workout. You know, spacing out, say, five meals of maybe, you know, 80 grams of carbs, which is a lot of food. And it removes that sort of food focus that I feel restricted. I need to have, you know, chocolate or pizza or whatever else. And again, it fuels performance then, because obviously you want to ensure safely that you're moving into this improvement phase now where the focus is on regaining back strength that was lost during the pre-contest phase. And then obviously that strength increase would potentially then lead to hypertrophy and obviously muscle gain, provided we're fueling the athlete correctly. I,
0: I remember listening to a podcast, I think you did this with Callum, I think it was it was last year, uh, I was walking to the gym, listening to it, and you were speaking about, obviously, um, when we put this food in, like post show or post photo shoot, whatever it is, we feel amazing, and we go back to training. And what's the one thing that we want to do when we train is we just we feel so much better, so we just go all in. Yep. So what what I would say is that do you think that that has the like now the, the best advice would be to not to do that and to maybe just give the body some time to accumulate fat, but I would say eighty percent of bodybuilders probably just go fucking all in. Now. That extra sort of food that they put in, they see PBs, and they think oh, all this all this weight I've gained is because I'm putting on muscle mass. Could you maybe perhaps see tell them the flaw in that, and what in fact it actually, what that total weight that they've gained. Let's say for example, it's quite easy we can see someone be six, seven, eight kilos up within a couple of weeks, um, whether it's assisted or non-assisted. But if if we had those two scenarios, would there be any muscle gain, little muscle gain, or none at all?
1: I'd be willing to put it down to a small amount of muscle gain. Um, most people fail to recognize also that your the fluid around your connective tissues is going to be quite limited during a pre-conscious phase. So obviously, when we start eating an excessive amount of calories post-show, or during this rebound phase, we're replenishing some of that. Connective tissue fluid, um, which again helps to lubricate our joints, which makes our body feel so much better post show. But, you know, just because the joint itself may be lubricated and be able to handle slightly more force, it doesn't, necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's the underlying tendon strength there to support that sudden increase in strength. And, you know, that can potentially lead to uh, a tendon rupture. Or, or an injury quite easily, as it would during a pre-contest phase. Um, really what you're sort of looking at is not putting sort of a number on a, on a rebound phase, more so making sure that health stays in check, so we keep blood pressure under control by managing fluids balance, which again, we'll touch now in a minute on, because that is quite important when it comes to say an enhanced athlete who is used diuretics there's huge potential there for um, heart implications whether it's through blood pressure or um, mineral imbalance Um, and then for I guess a natural athlete you're going to again potentially have small increases in blood pressure but it's not going to be as drastic as if they had taken, say, a diuretic, which is going to force um, a hormone imbalance surrounding uh, your your fluids.
0: So if, if we were to go into, you know, just the mechanisms which perhaps maintain fluid, I suppose before we go into, you know, why we see such massive increases in weight after, after shows and whatnot. I mean, I personally gained, you know, something like 40 pounds and like, I think it was six weeks or whatever, um, but no swollen ankles, if Carl's listening, no swollen ankles. He does <laughs> my coaching, so that's fine. But from from a health perspective, you know, could you explain how, well, number one, how we maintain fluid balance, but just number two, how we, how we sort of stay on top of that all year round um, <coughs> would be would be awesome. So w-
1: when we look at pre-contest, then we have really two hormones that we're trying to keep in control when it comes to, I guess, Fluid balance or what we manipulate in order to achieve um, lower levels of water subcutaneously and maintaining fluid balance intracellularly. So in other words, get rid of the water from under the skin while maintaining muscle cell volume from hydration. And that's controlled by you have two hormones. So people have heard of these aldosterone, which is released by your adrenal glands, And what aldastrone does is it increases sodium absorption in your body and it increases potassium excretion. So what you're sort of doing there is you're trying to maintain blood volume by, um, I guess, decreasing the amount of sodium that's absorbed. So this is when we're trying to, again, excrete fluid from the subcutaneous there trying to ensure that sodium is not maintained or retained and then we want to make sure that we retain potassium inside our muscle tissue in order to ensure that there's hydration there because they operate with a sodium potassium pump yeah so sodium pushes water out potassium drives it in that's sort of the the basics behind it so when we look at sort of how we peak someone will sort of load them with sodium for the week. So what you're sort of doing there is keeping aldosterone in check. So you'll always keep... The old school method was pull sodium out as early as possible. Yeah. But you're just upsetting aldosterone very early by doing that. So mm-hmm. normally what you want to do is keep sodium as high as possible <coughs> throughout peak week until, say, 36 hours before stage time. At that point you'd say half your sodium intake. Sure. So whereas before you might have been quite liberal putting salt in your meals, um, say for example, it's like say six turns of a grinder or six shakes, you might cut it down to three shakes.
0: Yeah.
1: And you follow that throughout, say the Friday with a show on Saturday. Yep. Sometime that Friday evening before bed, you just stop sodium. So at that point, you've maintained sodium being high, aldosterone stays in control, and what you're sort of doing there is ensuring that there's high levels of sodium to keep things in balance. Yep. The other thing that works opposite to aldosterone then is um, antidiuretic hormone, ADH. And that's released by the hypothalamus in your brain, which then tells your pituitary to make ADH. And ADH, um, what it does is antidiuretic. It decreases the amount of water that's excreted from your body.. So what we sort of want to do now is we want to tip the favor balance towards now stopping ADH's release in our body. Yeah. So by stopping ADH's release, we're now going to increase the amount of urine that's made,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's going to lead to a dehydrated state. Sure. And obviously, how we get, I guess, ADH under control is by increasing the amount of water that we consume so that it gives the brain a a signal that we're not in a dehydrated state. Yep. when we're in a dehydrated state, ADH is, I guess, released so that you retain fluid. Makes sense. So that's why we see the typical run sodium high during the week, and then at some point... um, on friday you know you either you keep running water high all week at a normal level or it may be a small little increase and then you at some point abruptly pull water say 24 hours from stage time or 12 hours from stage time and what you're sort of doing is you push the balance so that your body's continuously flushing out fluid so no adh is released and you're also i guess because you've kept sodium high there's no aldosterone feedback so again, you're flushing out sodium with with your urine, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how you approach it with, with a natural athlete. You know, you can add in the natural diuretics, like caffeine, anything that's going to induce diuresis, which is just the loss of fluid. Um, but I guess this is where being a, an educated coach comes into it, because then the morning after you do this on show day your athlete is gonna be quite dehydrated if you do this correctly, but you may have lost some intracellular volume because of the potassium and sodium loss. Yep. So this is where people fall into, I guess the trap of being either flat from a glycogen perspective, but more so people are generally flat from a dehydration perspective. There's not enough sodium present within the blood to maintain blood volume and there's not enough potassium within the muscle tissue itself to maintain hydration. So you end up with this sort of flat-looking physique where people start blaming, oh, I didn't eat enough carbohydrates. Yeah. Whereas if they had, of that morning at a show, actually consumed a small bit of fluid with a small bit of potassium and sodium, the physique probably would have looked so much different to then if they had piled more carbohydrates in that morning. It's yeah. it's often an oversight that people fail to look at. I guess how much fluid comes out during the night, and then obviously how much fluid you need to push back in in order to maintain that sort of fullness.
0: That I think everything you said there that that broke everything down from okay this is that this is what that is this is what it does this is what it is and and I love how logical and educated it all was. So for anyone listening that. If he doesn't know what ADH is, all the is, I would sure bet from that explanation they know it now, which is awesome. So let's say we've got that athlete, that competitor to the stage, they've competed, um, after which we tend to know, you know, massive, could be potentially massive binging on hyperpower foods, cakes, crisps, etc., etc. Mm. And then could perhaps we see, well, we, we tend to see um, a big increase in weight. Now, if we talked about exactly what you just said and we've maybe perhaps manipulated sodium and potassium, is there any sort of dangers that come with that um, or perhaps, because I think what a lot of bodybuilders do, they, they just switch off. They've competed, they're so high, they're like, fucking yes, I'm going to go out and get kebabs and pizza and stuff. And I guess they don't think about that unless their coach does. But could you maybe shed a little bit of light to what are some of the potential dangers that kind of go there? So I guess, depending on what you've sort of done with your electrolyte imbalance,
1: um, there are potentials for arrhythmias in the heart. Um, we've seen that with more so like professional bodybuilders that would push push the boundaries of completely depleting um, minerals from the body. And then obviously making a bad judgment on when they're, I guess, reloading to restore glycogen. In, in natural athletes, it's it's quite rare that you're gonna see something like this because of, it's very difficult, I guess, to force your body in one direction unless they, they completely don't drink for like three or four days. Right. Um, with enhanced athletes, there's a big danger. And unfortunately, uh, over the last few years, I've seen amateur athletes who have had heart attacks after competing. Jeez. Um, and that's more so driven by diuretic use. So that, that is the big danger when it comes to diuretics and not actually understanding how diuretics work. Um, generally, a diuretic should be viewed as sort of, I guess, an insurance policy that you are excreting fluids throughout the night. It's not that you start popping diuretics from three days out to make sure that you're flushing fluids because your kidneys will naturally excrete fluids based on the discussion on aldosterone and adh once you keep those in control your body will be excreting fluid. yeah
0: um
1: the, the whole purpose of a diuretic say the night before even the morning of the show is just to edge the kidneys to keep um i guess flushing fluid out of the body to ensure that if there is any fluid remaining subcutaneously that it is being removed by the kidneys um and I guess that's sort of like years ago they would have used loop diuretics like Lasix.
0: Okay.
1: We, we, we rarely see that practice now with, with like the approach of science throughout bodybuilding and obviously I guess people like myself talking on the stupidity of using something like <laughs> it. A, a loop diuretic basically how it works is it, it completely inhibits sodium, potassium and chloride reabsorption in your kidneys. So you basically just flush all those minerals out along with fluids. Right. Mm. Now if you can imagine you taking LASIKs for two days before a show and even more so professional practices used to use IV LASIKs the night before a show. Jesus When it comes to the morning of the show you've sorta got a blank sleep. So (laughs) if you mess up and you start to load and say something that's potassium rich like potatoes you're, you're heading for a serious case of arrhythmia based on the electric potential of your cardiac tissue. Wow. Um, not to mention, you know, it could go the other way and you could have severe cramps from a complete um, depletion of those minerals. Um, so we tend to not use Lasix and if you have a coach and he says to, to use Lasix, just completely drop your coach. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 sort of has come to light in the last while is sort of like not safe for diuretics but what are, would be known as the potassium sparing diuretics um or combination diuretics where you have a thiazide diuretic mixed with a potassium sparing one so in that case most people probably heard of diazide which is a um, thiazide mixed with triamterene, which is a potassium sparing diuretic and what you sort of have there is you have your thiazides, which is inhibiting sodium and chloride transport in your kidneys so that they're excreted. But the trienterine is obviously saving some potassium from being excreted while forcing sodium out of the body. So it's sort of like a, an aldosterone antagonist. Okay. So it's going against the actions of aldosterone, which would be to retain sodium. <clears throat> By, I guess, preventing potassium from being excreted, there's less likelihood that you're going to end up with a dehydrated physique internally in terms of your muscle tissue losing intracellular hydration. Um, when it comes to then post-contest, because you've upset this balance, from homeostasis, chemically, you then need to, I guess, pay your dues and understand that your body's always gonna wanna go back to homeostasis. Yeah. So, eventually, you sorta of have, I guess, 24 hours grace. If you if you play everything right, you have about 24 hours where your physique will be dry before it starts to rebound. At that point, no matter what you do, your body's gonna release aldosterone. So you're gonna retain sodium. And you're gonna have an increase in ADH where your body's just gonna pull water because it's a survival mechanism.
0: Yep.
1: Throw in on top of that, excessive carbohydrate binge, where you have approximately four grams of water per gram of carbohydrate. Wow. So you could have again, mineral deficiencies. So in order for glycogen to be loaded you need um, magnesium and vitamin B6. But people fail to realize. So the week pre-contest, if you carb someone up correctly, but in terms of their glycogen storage, unless they have a very anxious persona, or they burn a lot of nervous energy, it's highly unlikely that you're going to deplete a lot of glycogen that you store if you do an early carbo during yeah. peak 3 and even more so if you do a later carb-up, if you start binging post-show, again, you don't have any sort of facility mechanism in order to uptake that glucose as glycogen. Yeah. Um, so you end up in this scenario where you've come off stage, you're severely dehydrated, and immediately your food focuses on binge eating Yeah. as opposed to understanding okay i have upset this homeostatic balance of fluids i'd actually be more intelligent now to actually start hydrating my body okay restoring electrolyte balance and you know being mindful of this having say one i wouldn't say cheat meal but one luxurious meal yeah and wait for this homeostatic balance to ride over so I'm speaking from experience here. And if people want to look at the data on my Instagram profile from when I done the nationals in 2016, and then I had the, I had the WFF NABU world championships, I think it was three weeks later. So obviously I, I dehydrated myself. We used a half a diuretic before bedtime when I come off stage, because I knew I had that show in three weeks' time, I didn't have sort of food focus on going out and binging or whatever. Sure. My immediate focus after I got off stage was hydrate, 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 to the point where I had to had about four litres of fluid from I think I off stage at 3 pm to when I went to bed at 11. Damn. Now, my diet at the time was very low in carbohydrates. So, the meals sort of when I come off stage were, you know, chicken and vegetables, um, you know, salt, ketchup, condiments added to it. So that was Sunday. Monday, by Monday, 8 o'clock, I was up 15 pounds. Wow. By Tuesday afternoon, I was up, I think, 19. Shit. And then Tuesday evening, it was like someone turned on a tap right and all throughout tuesday night just constantly going to the bathroom wednesday woke up pre-saturday wait oh wow so and that was again no carbohydrates no you know no excessive like so you can't fool your body out of this
0: mechanism,
1: this mechanism i can only imagine how much more
0: that would have been if the example was you went out and had some some you know as you call them luxurious meals so you could easily have seen another sort of 15 20 pounds of fluid there
1: yeah and i mean like so you know you're and that was me putting a big focus on hydration post show. yeah where you know as soon as like my stage i had a liter of water with some electrolytes and kept drinking you know every every hour or so to the point like on the monday i had planned on having a meal with morgan my wife Right. And I couldn't go out Monday night because my stomach was just so swollen with fluid. Okay. And you can you can sort of feel the fluid that you're drinking just sloshing around in your stomach. Yeah. And it was literally just being patient until, like I said, Tuesday evening. That was sort of when, you know, you, you reach this homeostatic balance of aldosterone and ADH and your body goes, well, hang on, we don't need to actually hold on to all this fluid. And yeah. it starts excreting it out.
0: Yeah. And no. that
1: sort of, again it's sort of a double-edged sword because someone gets into that scenario post-show what's the first thing that they do post-show yeah so if you run into that scenario where you've you've now like me woken up on monday and i'm up 15 pounds of fluids oh they
0: probably would do one do cardio and this and the well, i'll tell you an even more stupid decision
1: they take another diuretic thinking that they're going to flush the fluid out of their body with the diuretic Oh no! And now, and now you you know you prolong this homeostatic balance because now you've trucked in a diuretic that's again going against this hormone balance
0: yeah
1: and you'll see that you'll see competitors thinking oh you know they wake up monday after a sunday show and they're completely swollen with fluid i'm just going to take half a diazide and it's going to flush the fluid out and it's actually you know no you just need to be sensible and actually understanding your body's doing something that it's designed to do yeah that you know you just have to be patient and let it clear off
0: yeah that, that that's nuts i mean i guess what that would do for yourself you knew the process so it was easy to understand right this this will happen this and i've got another show in three weeks i'll be fine but if there was someone that was sort of like blind leading the blind and just, just took everything their coach said and wasn't educated on and they went and done that, you can only imagine how compounding on top of that stress and then X, Y and Z, could, that, that would just be a, a, like, a recipe for disaster, am I, am I right?
1: Yeah, and I mean even psychologically. And um, I'm not taking any digs for an old practice was given. Like bikini athletes, loop diuretics. Damn. And if you can imagine then, okay, we have this, I guess, tedious psychological balance with a female post-show, and now all of a sudden their body's retaining, say, 10 to 12 pounds of fluid because of the diuretic, and then panicking the next day, and then going, what's going on here? And then obviously just chucking everything out the window and just continuing to binge. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you have a coach that understands fluid balance can actually, I guess, educate the client. Before the show and go right this is what's going to happen
0: yeah
1: you're going to enjoy you know your food the night of the show we're going to put an emphasis on fluid intake when you come off stage the next day you're going to obviously we're going to pull carbohydrates right down keep fluid and mineral intake high you're going to get a little uncomfortable as your body tries to balance out but obviously trust the plan and by Wednesday you'll be back to pre-contest Stage condition as well as stage uh, fluid balance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that when when we think, talk about sort of minerals and sodium, potassium, you know, I'll admit as a young younger bodybuilder, I do not have a fucking clue their importance. You know, and and I'd see guys using low salt and doing this that, and the next thing, and and I'd be like, what's the fucking point in that? I think what you've said up to now in the podcast reiterates the importance of them. But one thing I wanted to, to sort of touch on was, let's say someone's got through that period, they've got through that phase, and they're they're now well into an off-season. And we'll know that as potentially male-assisted male bodybuilders, calories will get fairly high. And when they get high, what's the first thing that we do? We get very, very lazy with our veg intake, with our fruit intake, pretty much everything. And from what you've said, I could, I could see how it would maybe be devastating for the likes of like potassium intake, because that's where it's usually going to come from. And with that, perhaps, might come an elevation in blood pressure. Now, am I I'm on the right lines here?
1: Yeah, 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 you definitely are, because... So you, you're probably going to, in most cases, you're going to have higher sodium intake. Sure. Most definitely. But as an artifact of high sodium intake, you actually have high potassium excretion. So that's why... The RDA for potassium is way higher than sodium. Not only from the perspective that you know, the, the sodium-potassium pump operates on like three sodiums to two potassiums. You're, as an artefact of how aldosterone works, aldosterone saves sodium, but it doesn't save potassium when you just excrete it out. Okay. So and that that is important then for obviously maintaining fluid balance. Um. I guess blood volume would be the, the more important way of speaking about it, which would affect your blood pressure.
0: I think that you know, again, from my younger days, I didn't track my blood pressure. I was just, I was just mindlessly, you know, fall blindly in the blind type of thing. But I think when, as the years have went on, with people like yourself, educators out there, just really the importance of of why we should be doing it. Um, it's so it's so valuable and i wish that back in the day when i say back in the day i mean like 2016 2015 that i there was educators like yourself that that spoke about it so so openly and so frequently because uh, i would do so many things different than than i do now um and, and a lot of clients that i'll work with like assisted guys i'll say right how much how much salt are you put on your meals or how much you know, you look at their diet and it's devoid of any sort of green veg or fruit, and you just and you kind of go, what 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 the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but yeah. I I guess I didn't see the importance of of how it would help maintain blood pressure. And actually, I use an example. I think I did say this on our last podcast. Um, I tagged you, and it was a client of mine last year. Um, they used one of your uh, the products you formulated, and their blood pressure dropped by like ten. Or the systolic had dropped by like from one thirty in the low one twenties, which was which was huge. Now, for anyone out there that doesn't see the importance of green veg or potassium intake, do you want to perhaps reiterate some of the points you've made on why why they should, but also why perhaps staying on top of those that intake will help the likes of muscle contraction, pumps in the gym, ultimately hypertrophy.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, on a a simple level, if your potassium intake is balanced, you're gonna have more intracellular fluid within your muscle tissue. Again, the muscles more hydrated, there's greater, I guess, electrical potential there for contractions, for stronger contractions. And obviously, not that contractions are the be all and end all of hypertrophy, but it does lend itself then to obviously the muscle mind connection and feel actually working that muscle directly and um, on a on a higher level your kidneys your kidneys are so important in this regard because obviously we've been talking about water balance but it's all driven by your kidneys the kidneys are what does the filtration what pulls the fluid what reabsorbs the potassium sodium chlorine and unfortunately, high blood pressure can lead to kidney damage because obviously, how we view the kidneys in my aspect is that you have a very delicate net. Yeah. And if you can imagine, when you have high blood pressure, it's like getting a power hose to that delicate net.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Or, or
1: even so, now that I sort of think about it, it's like a spider's web. Yeah. You know, rain passes through a spider's web, no problem, uh, you know, the, the rate of rainfall but if you actually got like a hose, you just blast through the spire web. And, and if you can imagine, once that sort of damage is done to the, to the glomerulite, which is the, you know, the part of our kidneys that does this filtration process, once the damage is done there, it, it, it's very difficult for it to repair. Uh, and I guess that's sort of where you start to see potential formation of chronic kidney disease in bodybuilders and it's all driven by a higher level of blood pressure hmm.
0: um, now is this something that is perhaps well when I say I was going to say something that's changed over the years but I'm referring to how long I've been properly bodybuilding for which in reality in, in longevity and things isn't that long But back, back if we were to think say back to 10 years ago was there such an emphasis on this or was it just take this that and the next thing and then if you feel alright then you're all good and if if that was the case, you know, it has changed drastically now. But what what was it like, say ten years ago?
1: I'm I'm not really sure what what happened ten years ago to be honest. Um I guess we have we'd have to listen to I guess anecdotal reports of guys from the nineties like Dory and Ronnie, who who obviously seem to have had a medical guidance throughout their careers, but that's a professional athlete yeah in terms of the amateur scene i'd be willing to take a guess that up until say the uh popularity of bodybuilding forms within the late 2000s i'd say until that point it was more so um i guess anecdotal knowledge passed within gyms or passed within i guess a bodybuilding community verbally, as opposed to having open access information as you have now. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's very difficult. But I'd be willing to to take a guess that if you were to quiz, I guess bodybuilders who are probably in their fifties at this point, who would have competed twenty years ago, probably did have very little education in terms of health management because it probably wasn't mainstream media. You didn't have um, the likes of Muscular Development as a magazine, although I guess publications like that are going out of out of business themselves, but you would have had the likes of Flex or, you know, Muslim Fitness that was all about the aesthetic side and the training side, but normally you were speaking about, you know, well these guys are enhanced elites and this is what they're sort of doing to protect their health. Yeah, and I
0: guess that's maybe where it's changed is that, like, Bodybuilders have become a lot more open about saying, well, I use this, I use that, and it's maybe perhaps then allowed educators to say, well, actually, this is what you should sort of be taking care of. Um, now, this almost brings me to the second last question, which was if we've we've talked about fluid balance, we've talked about gaining weight, and we've talked about sort of if we were to look at the sort of peak of an off seasons at the point where someone's calories are at their absolute highest, we spoke about maintaining sort of fluid balance is there anything else that we should perhaps be aware of anything that you maybe see guys like or or girls do that were perhaps something that they're missing and if so what what would you sort of recommend that they they stay on top of
1: um when it comes to fluid balance if if it's an enhanced athlete they need to understand that steroids anabolic steroids don't just necessarily act on androgen receptors so that's a, like, like, like it's a general misconception that, you know, take anabolic steroids, they just act on androgen receptors. The androgen receptors themselves are a member of the steroid hormone receptors. So within that, you're going to have, um, I guess, the mineral corticoids are going to be one of them. And as we've seen, aldosterone is a mineral corticoid. So you have potential there for an anabolic steroid to act on a mineral corticoid receptor itself and i guess influence how fluid is balanced by i guess retaining sodium in the body yeah. um how would you control that it's basically down to sort of you know h- how much i guess the dosage of the androgens that you're taking um and how do you control that it's just by reducing the dose obviously um, or keep it on top of other ways to maintain um, fluid balance. So obviously keeping water intake high, keeping, um, I guess, your mineral balance correct with potassium, because obviously if you're going to be retaining sodium, you want to ensure that your potassium intake is kept up. Um, estrogen balance. So estradiol itself is going to affect mineral corticoids and obviously fluid balance within the body. So again, making sure that we keep an eye on estradiol, monitoring blood pressure. Um, I guess it always comes back to like the key fundamental here with bodybuilders in the height of off-season surrounding fluid balances. (laughs) Either you have big puffy ankles with a big sock indent that's sort of telling you, you know, fluid is pooling at your legs during the day based on gravity. Or, you know, you start to see symptoms of high estrogen and bloated face um, excessive fat gain or like even the simplest thing about like we spoke about blood pressure just keep an eye on your blood pressure two to three times a week and obviously ensuring that you're keeping and keeping it within normal range you know don't let it go any higher than 130 over 90 basically um and, and i think at that point you know after that Ensuring that you have adequate intake of magnesium and vitamin B six, like I said, to ensure that you are storing glycogen efficiently. Um. And that, that's all really it. From, from off the top of my head,
0: it's it's funny that you should mention about the, the swollen ankles and the indent of the sock because it was only the two or three weeks ago. I, mean, I think three weeks ago, now, I I reached my the, my peak and in, in my body weight. I think it it got up to one two one two eight. And uh, just all of a sudden, I was I I, I sat at my desk for about six eight hours a day. I looked down when I took my socks off, and I was like, "Holy fucking shit, <laughs> shit!" <laughs> right, just massively swollen. But what had I done? Gotten lazy with green veg. stopped putting low salt on my my meat meals, um, and just like literally, maybe, maybe I'd done that for maybe two weeks. I think I was lazy for it and saw that, and when I saw that, I was like, "This is fucking shit." And of course, I was lazy because I wasn't checking my blood pressure. The minute I checked it, I'm like, "We need to sort this," because I think it was like one three four, one three five. I was like, "Nah," and then within like literally seven to ten days of reintroducing potassium again through green veg, low salt, leaf. although I think it was just because my appetite just—I was I hate. I hate food, right? That's what I tend to say. I was hating food at the time. The last thing you want to do is, if you've got a big bowl of chicken and potatoes, is add spinach or <laughs> your green beans or whatnot. Yeah. But I instantly saw like an improvement within seven days, and I can now sure as hell say no swollen ankles, but it just reminded me of the podcast you done with Callum last year, where, um, albeit, I don't think my ankles were anywhere near as bad, because he was in a post-show, but it reminded me of that, and I just thought, what am I doing <laughs> because I'll preach to clients to stay on top of this, that and the next thing um, but I just wanted to give that example because you know I'm a coach and I just wanted to say even we can get lazy with it sometimes but knowing from the likes of yourself sharing the valuable golden nuggets that you've given to the episode um, I hope that the listeners can sort of not, I'm not going to say sort an issue out like that by themselves because I think that if you don't know you should definitely contact yourself as a yeah
1: yeah yeah like um the other thing that people fail to see there as well is nocturium which is frequent urination throughout the night yep that's going to be driven by an electrolyte imbalance okay. so if someone's saying that oh I'm you know pissing every two hours during the night if you think about it fluid's going to naturally pull at your ankles throughout the day when you're walking as opposed to you know as an artifact of gravity the fluid going down to your legs coming back to your heart it is going to be under greater pressure to come back to the heart. When you lie down at night, night your blood pressure drops, and that fluid can now start to get pushed by obviously the lymph back to the heart, back for you know um, processing at the kidneys. If you don't have you know adequate mineral balance, that fluid that sort of pooled during the day isn't going to be retained by your body. And it's going to head straight for your kidneys to get filtered and processed into urine. and um, You'd be fairly sure that a lot of people could rectify frequent urination throughout the night by actually paying attention to field balance.
0: I never thought of that before, ever. I used to always just, well, still say I've, I've had a weak bladder my whole life. But um, whenever, I, whenever I get through a night where I haven't gone to the toilet, I'm like, Holy fucking shit. I always wake up bursting for the piss, mind you. But um, that's definitely something that not even I thought of. So, it puts even more emphasis on the fact that staying on top of your electrolyte balance, which, again, openly and admittedly something a few years ago, I didn't really pay much attention to at all. Um, Because I was just so, I think there'll be many guys out there that are in that point where you're just like, yeah, I'm fucking taking gear, I'm going to get huge, yeah. Whereas, now there's such a huge emphasis on health that, you know yourself for putting on and um, now before i know you're busy man before you go what i wanted to to always ask uh, listeners the last question was, was when will we see you on stage again i think that you answered that at the very sort of start of the podcast supposed to be this year but now you're going to be even better next year and um, through <laughs> the garage gains <laughs> hopefully, hopefully fingers crossed uh, i
1: hope that we make it to the stage next year we're we're planning uh potentially our second child at the moment so that was sort of my my drive to get on stage this year was that if we had a second child then that'd be sort of you know finished this year hopefully on on a high with the goal ticked and then sort of be able to go right I can sort of walk away from competitive bodybuilding for a while but let's see what happens next year
0: yeah awesome now for anyone listening out there that wants they want to see garage gains you know they want to see you lifting in there um, or they want to find out a bit more about you do you want to just drop your um, so sort of Instagram handle and where they can contact you um, perhaps for coaching or anything information at all
1: yeah my Instagram is Dean d e a n s t m, and my email is on my profile so if you want to contact me for a consult or obviously you know help or coaching it's there feel free to contact me I have a YouTube page, which is the same handle, but I haven't really updated anything to it. But that's sort of where you find the nugget that people most know me about for PCT. Yep. Um, and another that something that needs that code at UK is the company that I formerly all the CV stack, Asterix Flow, Crow, kidney and blood pressure, or the infamous sleep stack. Most people probably know me through that sort of way, so. Supplements.co.uk
0: so, and my discount code is drd so that'll save you five percent off your whole order. And we've got to make sure that you use that one and not the the muscle mentor or something, uh, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw that on a post one time. I think that you and Carl a post. You are like, "Nah, I use this. Nah, I use that." Uh, but no, dude. Listen, a massive thank you for myself. Um, as always, you know, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share your information only freely. With the world all over your platforms but on this podcast as well and i think that it'll be a huge huge value to the listeners um out there so massive thanks for me my man and um, i hope that today you know wherever you are listening uh, please give dean a follow um, and make sure that you're watching him uh, giving it the beans in the garage